Welcome to the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, and I'm here to tell you about some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters that have made an impact on the Central California Valley community. Are you ready to hear a notorious Bakersfield story? Good. Let's get started. If it's Tuesday, it must be time for a Notorious Bakersfield story. Welcome to the 20th episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I hope you all had a good week. I want to thank everyone who has purchased the Notorious Bakersfield Halloween Tour. The feedback I've received has been positive and people are really enjoying it. If you haven't taken it yet, it's still available to purchase for $20 through to Halloween. It's a self-paced audio driving tour to some of Bakersfield's historical crime scene locations and purported haunted sites. If you'd like more information, email me at NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. There's no space between Notorious and Bakersfield. This podcast, Notorious Bakersfield, is heavy on true crime. I don't think anybody comes here not knowing that. What is covered here is no worse than what is covered in most newspapers or your evening newscasts. I try not to get too graphic. I'm aware that survivors of victims very well may be listening. So there are certain lines I will not cross. Unlike other true crime podcasts, I don't give a warning at the beginning of the episode saying this episode may contain content to some that some listeners may find disturbing. It's a true crime podcast. Of course, it's going to contain violence. If you tune in expecting Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you're very mistaken. Having said that, I'm going to start this episode by giving a warning up front. This story is disturbing. I consider myself a pretty jaded person when it comes to these type of things. But when I first started researching this story, it did a number on me. I read newspaper articles and court documents late into the night. Then, when I went to bed, I could not get this story off my mind. It haunted me. It's every bit as upsetting as any horror movie I've ever seen. And what made it so disturbing, it's a true story. So, there's your warning. If you've taken the Notorious Bakersfield Halloween tour that I talked about earlier... This crime scene location is a point of interest on the tour. Just before dawn on March 9, 1972, Daniel Alvin Fuzzleman, a 49-year-old unemployed bartender, sat in his car outside his estranged wife Priscilla's house in Park Stockdale. She was working the graveyard shift at a downtown Bakersfield coffee shop. He was waiting outside because he wanted to witness firsthand his wife's reaction to what he had done inside the home. They were going through a messy divorce, and he wanted to make her life a living hell. Fuzzleman had been waiting in his car for about an hour when Priscilla's car pulled into the driveway. She exited the vehicle and walked inside the home. But Daniel Fuzzleman didn't stick around to witness her reaction. Instead, he started up his car, put it in drive, and drove to the Kern County Sheriff's Office, walked in, and told the clerk working in the front desk that he was there to turn himself in for murder. 
Daniel and Priscilla Fuzzleman were married around 1966. That's the best I could figure. Daniel was in his mid-40s, and Priscilla was in her early 30s, probably around 32, 33 at the time. This was his third marriage and her second. Both had children from their previous marriages. In 1968, the couple welcomed a baby boy. They named him Daniel Jr. Then in 1969, along came a daughter that they named Danielle. Yes, they named both after Daniel Sr. Sometime in 1970, the Fuzzlemans moved to Bakersfield from Monterey, California. They bought a home in the 5700 block of Cochran Drive in the newer neighborhood of Park Stockdale. Daniel worked as a bartender, and Priscilla worked as a waitress. Daniel Fuzzleman struggled with alcoholism. He'd been sober for a number of years, but during his marriage with Priscilla, his sobriety was intermittent. Sometime in 1971, Daniel moved to Denver, Colorado, and Priscilla stayed here in Bakersfield. Couple's daughter, Danielle, suffered from asthma, and they decided she would stay with the father— Daniel, in Denver to be treated by a specialist there in that city. Towards the end of 1971, Danielle was back living with her mother and brother in Bakersfield on Cochrane Drive. Daniel Sr. remained in Denver, but would travel to Bakersfield to visit his children occasionally. On one of these visits to Bakersfield in December of 1971, Priscilla served Daniel Sr with divorce papers. Through the next few months, the couple negotiated terms of their divorce. In addition to the Park Stockdale home, they had two other properties in Monterey and Royal Grande. On March 7, 1972, Daniel Fuzzleman Sr. arrived in Bakersfield after driving from Denver. He came back to visit his children and discuss the divorce with his estranged wife. He phoned Priscilla to arrange to pick up the kids. She told him that day wouldn't work, but he could see them the next day. The next day, Daniel Sr. went to the Cochran Drive house to pick up the kids. This gave Priscilla a chance to sleep while the kids were with their dad. She worked nights as a server at Tiny's Coffee Shop in downtown Bakersfield. To earn extra money, she also did bookkeeping for the restaurant three or four hours after the end of her shift at midnight. She often didn't finish work until 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Daniel Sr. and the kids went out to eat, got ice cream, and went to a park and played. They returned to the Park Stockdale home late that afternoon, just as Priscilla was getting ready for work. She was going to take the kids to the babysitter on her way, but little Danny asked if his dad could watch them instead of the babysitter. Daniel Sr. agreed to this, and Priscilla went off to work, leaving her two children, Danny, age four and a half, and Danielle, age three, in the care of their father. Daniel Fuzzleman Sr. claims he and the children watched TV after Priscilla left. He then made something for dinner. He gave them their baths around seven or eight. Then at bedtime, he took the kids to their shared bedroom. They each had twin beds that Daniel Sr. moved side by side. He could lay across them and read a bedtime story to them. Then Daniel Sr. fell asleep too. 
He awoke around midnight, went to the refrigerator to look for something to eat. He noticed five beers in the refrigerator. While drinking the beers, he started reflecting on an earlier conversation he had with Priscilla about their divorce. She wanted everything, including custody of the kids. She even threatened to go after him for child support if she was awarded custody. He was an unemployed bartender. How was he going to pay child support? The more he thought about the situation, the more he drank, and the angrier he became. A few months before, he asked Priscilla to fly herself and the kids to Denver to visit him. She said she didn't have enough money for the flight, but she charged $100 on a credit card for new clothes. Remembering this incident enraged Daniel. He went to the kitchen, got a butcher knife, and sharpened it. He started with the living room furniture, slicing all of the upholstery. Next, he went to Priscilla's bedroom. He ripped open the mattress with the butcher knife, went through her dresser drawers and closet, and shredded her clothes. Then he poured bleach on them. He noticed the golf clubs he had given Priscilla as a gift. He took each club out of the bag and bent them. If he couldn't have these things, he wasn't going to allow Priscilla to have them either. Daniel Fuzzleman went back to the kitchen and got a skillet. He sharpened the butcher knife a second time. With the skillet in one hand and the butcher knife in the other hand, Daniel Fuzzleman walked down the hallway to the children's bedroom. His first victim was Danny. He battered the little boy over the head with the skillet before slitting his throat with the butcher knife. Daniel Fuzzleman repeated the attack on his daughter. He threw the heavy skillet on the floor and kicked it under the bed. Before leaving the children's bedroom, he covered each of their bodies with a quilt. He walked back to the kitchen, still holding the butcher knife. He rinsed it off in the kitchen sink before putting it away in a drawer. On the back of an outdated 1971 calendar, Fuzzleman wrote a note to his wife. In the note, he accused his wife of being greedy and being unfaithful. Here's an excerpt. I only wanted happiness for the children, but you were God. You are now God. He gave his only son. You gave a son and a daughter. Fuzzleman exited the house, got in his car, and drove around Bakersfield during the pre-dawn hours. He went to the Panorama Bluffs and sat, pondering what he had just done. After a couple of hours, he returned to the Park Stockdale neighborhood and parked about a block away from his family's home. He waited, sitting in his car. He wanted to see Priscilla's reaction. He wanted to see her suffering. But when she got there, he drove away and drove to the Kern County Sheriff's Office, walked in, and told the front desk clerk he was there to turn himself in for murder. Walking through her front door and seeing her normally tidy home in disarray, Priscilla knew something bad had happened. 
The first thing to cross her mind was that her estranged husband had abducted the children. She ran to the kids' bedroom and looked in, but she didn't see the kids. Then she went to her bedroom and saw it ransacked. She searched for some clothes so she could change out of her waitress uniform. She finally found a change of clothes that wasn't ruined. While she was changing clothes, a thought crossed her mind. If he abducted the children, he would have taken their clothes. When she finished changing, Priscilla rushed back to the kids' room to see if there were any clothes missing. She went through the drawers and closet. Nothing seemed to be missing. Thinking her husband may have taken the kids to the babysitter, Priscilla jumped in her car and drove to the babysitter's house. But the babysitter hadn't seen anyone, the kids or Daniel Fuzzleman Sr. Priscilla called the Kern County Sheriff's Office from the babysitter's house to report that her husband had abducted her children. She gave the dispatcher her home address and said that she would meet the deputies at her home. When Priscilla pulled onto her street, patrol cars were already in front of the house. She hurried past little Danny's tricycle on the sidewalk as she met detectives standing on the front lawn. As one detective grabbed Priscilla's wrists, another detective told her the grim news. Her husband hadn't abducted the children. He'd killed them. He'd already confessed, and their bodies were still in the house, in their beds. No, no, not that, she said. She was just in their bedroom and didn't see them. How could she miss such a thing? How did she not see that, she demanded. The carnage was under the quilts. It was obscured by the bedding. Three days after their deaths, a graveside service was held for the Fuzzleman children at Greenlawn Memorial Park in Bakersfield. Daniel Alvin Fuzzleman Jr. and Danielle Alina Fuzzleman were laid to rest in the same grave. The rest of March 1972 was filled with legal proceedings for their father. There was the coroner's inquest, then a hearing was held to determine Fuzzleman's sanity, in which he was determined to presently be sane. In April of 1972, Fuzzleman was arraigned for the slayings of his two children. He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. At the end of April, a dissolution of the Fuzzleman's marriage was granted, and Priscilla reverted back to her maiden name, of Putnam. Daniel Fuzzleman's trial was delayed multiple times throughout 1972 due to him being hospitalized with a heart condition. Finally, on January 2, 1973, Daniel Fuzzleman's case went to trial. During the trial, each side, the prosecution and defense, brought expert witnesses to testify regarding Daniel Fuzzleman's mental health. The opinions of witnesses from both sides conflicted. The prosecution entered into evidence and showed the jury black and white video footage of the crime scene. Remember, this was 1972-1973. This was high technology for that period. Priscilla Putnam was called by prosecution to testify. The first day of her testimony was cut short because she was too emotional. On multiple occasions, she was reduced to tears and was unable to control her voice. 
The judge excused her for the day and allowed her the weekend to recover. After the weekend, Priscilla resumed her testimony. The, but the weekend break didn't seem to help alleviate the still grieving mother. But she powered through. Until, on cross-examination, her ex-husband's defense attorney accused her of abusing her own children. That's when the former Mrs. Fuzzleman reached her limit. She told the court, quote, I've had enough. I just want to rest. Do you mind? All I know is he killed my kids. And she left the witness stand. Daniel Fuzzleman and his defense attorneys argued he was in a blackout when he killed his children. He recalled in detail everything about that night and, and early morning. He remembered getting the butcher knife. He remembered sharpening the knife. He remembered walking down the hallway to the children's bedroom, yet claimed he didn't remember the actual act of murdering his children. He testified his next memory he had was washing off the bloody butcher knife in the kitchen sink. Fuzzleman testified that the reason he got so angry at his wife that night was because when he was giving the children a bath before bed, he noticed a scratch on Danielle. And Danny told his father their mother caused the scratch by slapping the little girl. The trial lasted over three weeks. After two days of deliberations, the jury found Daniel Fuzzleman guilty of murdering his children. Then, the same jury was tasked with determining the convicted double murderer's sanity. That wasn't so easy. They deadlocked 11 to 1. Another jury had to be impaneled, and more hearings were held. The new jury decided Fuzzleman was sane when he murdered his two children. Kern County Superior Court Judge John Jelitich sentenced Daniel Fuzzleman to life in prison. But you didn't think that was the end of it, did you? In 1974, the United States Supreme Court ruled that trial judges must read diminished capacity instructions to juries. Consequently, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned Fuzzleman's conviction. So, Daniel Fuzzleman won a new trial. Because of the publicity surrounding this case, the trial was moved to Orange County. And that trial lasted three weeks, too. In December 1976, an Orange County jury found Daniel Fuzzleman guilty again. Fuzzleman was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the double murder of his children. Daniel Alvin Fuzzleman died in prison in 1984. Resources used to research the story, the Bakersfield Californian, the Los Angeles Times, the Orange County Register, court records from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, People v. Fuzzleman, findagrave.com. Like I said at the beginning, this story really affected me. Any story I cover that involves the senseless death of a child makes me extra uncomfortable. Unfortunately, I've covered a number of them here. Fairy Gerace, Rosemary Riddle, Jessica Martinez. 
And the Fuzzleman children's murder were just as brutal and tragic as those. But for some reason, this one, this one, wow. And the only explanation I can come up with, maybe, it's because Danny and Danielle Fuzzleman were killed by their own father. Somebody that was, you know, inherently supposed to take care of them, protect them. Um, That's my only explanation. So next week is Halloween week for next Tuesday's episode. I'll be having a special Halloween edition. I'll take a look at the history of one of Bakersfield's most notorious haunted houses that's still standing. In addition to that, I'll take a look back at how people in Bakersfield responded to Orson Welles 1938 war of the world's radio broadcasts. Uh, listeners of the program back then throughout the country mistook this fictional story as true, and it caused a huge sensation. So I'll look back at how Bakersfield responded to War of the Worlds, the most infamous Halloween trick ever played on a mass of people. Remember to follow Notorious Bakersfield on your favorite podcast app. For pictures related to this episode, take a look at the Notorious Bakersfield social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Facebook, there are now streaming podcasts. Um, This episode and every Notorious Bakersfield episode is available to listen to right on Facebook. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. See you back here next Tuesday.